So what do you think? A podcast where we discuss weird and unsolved mysteries and events and give you our completely unprofessional opinion on them. I'm Jay and with me here is B. Hi. Tonight we go back a little bit in time and we're going to have a chat about a very, very mysterious case that occurred quite a while ago in the 40s. Have you ever heard of the case of the Sodder children? By name, yes, but I don't know anything about it. Okay, so you've heard the name. I've heard the name. So let's get into it. The Sodder family consisted of George and Jenny, who were Italian immigrants, and their 10 children. George and Jenny had originally been born in Sardinia and immigrated to the USA as children. George was a really hard worker, getting straight into it, carrying supplies to railway workers in Pennsylvania. He soon met Jenny and the couple married and settled to the town called Fayetteville in West Virginia, a town where there were many Italian immigrants and they ended up sort of settling and making their own little community there. Here, George had his own business, a trucking company, and it did really, really well. So they were more the well-to-do family in the area. Now, they had their first child in 1923 and the last in 1943. The names of the children were Maurice, Martha, Lewis, Jenny Jr., Betty, Betty, Marion, Joe, Sylvia, John, and George Jr., Although they were a well-respected family in the area, George still had his fair share of controversy. You see, it was World War II happening at the time, so a lot of upheaval was occurring back in Italy. George was apparently very, very vocal, vocally opposed to the dictator Mussolini and what he was doing over in the home country. Of course, Fayetteville was made up largely of recent Italian immigrants, some who were supporters of Mussolini, So George clashed clashed heads with quite a few people because of this. So I can imagine it now, this little town of Italian immigrants just getting really angry and passionate with each other all the time. Eh, eh, eh. No. Hold a hand. Hold a hand. Yeah, that's it. This seemed to be standard stubborn pig-headed conflict with no real malice for the most part. So, as I said, I think it was just more, we're very passionate people. We like to let everyone know what we think. However, there was an incident in October 1945 when a door-to-door life insurance salesman had tried to sign George up and they had ended up getting into a big argument about Mussolini because what else do you do when you're trying to sell insurance (laughs) to someone is get into a political debate with them. Things got heated and the salesman left the house shouting that his house would go up in smoke and his children were going to be destroyed. So fast forward to Christmas Eve, 1945, and most of the children are home. Joe, the oldest son, was off fighting in the war at the time. I believe, you know, end of 1945, it would have just all wound up sort of thing. But, you know, he was off still overseas. But the rest of the kids were home that night. By 10 p.m., George and the next two oldest boys, John, age 23, and George Jr., age 16, were already asleep. They had all all three been working together all day, so they'd gotten an early night. 14-year-old Maurice and 9-year-old Lewis asked if they could stay up a little bit later, and Jenny said that they could, so long as before they went to bed, they went out and brought in the cows and the chickens because they lived on a farm, so they had to do their chores before they came to bed. Jenny herself went off to bed, though, taking 2-year-old Sylvia with her. The girls, Marion, age 19, Martha, age 12, Jenny Jr., age 8, and Betty, age 5, stayed up a little longer too, but eventually went off to bed, presumably, as well. At 12.30am, and we're assuming everyone was meant to have been in bed by this stage, Jenny heard the phone ring. So she goes downstairs to see who it was. 
when she answered the phone, she just heard a woman laughing and she could hear like glasses clinking in the background like it was a call from a party. The woman who she spoke to, she didn't know. She said, I didn't know this woman's voice at all. And she asked for a person who she didn't know. So it was just assumed that it was the wrong number and she ended up hanging up. While downstairs, though, she did notice that the lights were all still on, which was strange, and the curtains weren't closed, which were both things that the kids were usually pretty good at doing before bed. Still, she just assumed that they'd gone to bed and they'd just forgotten to do it. Marion was the only one still downstairs and she'd fallen asleep on the couch. So she just went, all right, the other ones must be in bed. She shuts the curtains, turn off, turns off the lights and goes back to bed herself. Now, not longer, at about one o'clock, so only about half an hour later, something woke her up and she said it was the sound of something hitting their roof and rolling down it. Half an hour later, she began to smell smoke and went to investigate. At that stage, she said that George's office was where the fire was and it was all around the telephone and fuse box. So at this stage, it's chaos. And I can imagine that people are screaming, trying to wake everyone up, trying to get everyone out. I mean, there's nine kids and two adults there. So I'm sure it would have been absolutely chaotic. Marion, Sylvia, John and George Jr. escaped with their parents while the other five children had been trapped in their bedroom, which was in the attic with the staircase slash ladder that goes up to the attic being on fire. So nobody could get up there to go and get them. All six of those who got out claimed that all that they could do was call out to them at the bottom of the stairs and they never heard any response at the time. So chaos ensues. Jenny tries to call for help downstairs, but the phone won't work. So she has to go run next door to her neighbor's house, use their phone to call the fire brigade. George is freaking out about the kids up in the attic, obviously, you know, absolutely panicking, climbs up the outside of the wall of the house barefoot, breaks the attic window, but in doing that, he cuts his arm really, really badly on the glass. So he has to come back down again. But he tells the others to go get the ladder. And there's usually a ladder that sits on side of the up against the side of the house at all times. Um, so he says, go and get that ladder and I'll get up there and get them that way. But they go to try and find it and it isn't where it usually is and it's nowhere to be found. They just can't find it. It's disappeared. They had a barrel of water that they decided to use to try and extinguish the fire. But on looking, it was discovered that it was completely frozen solid. Perhaps not so surprising given that it was the middle of winter. George was trying to find a way of getting to the attic again and remembered that they, he had two trucks from the business at the house at the time. So he thought, if I can drive them and pull them up against the house, I can possibly climb on them and try and get into the, ladder, into the attic that way. However, when he went to start them both, neither of them would start. And they had worked the previous day. So that was really weird as well. So everything was against them. And tragically, all they could do was watch it all just burn down, assuming that their five children had perished inside. So I can just imagine how horrific that would have been for them. Jenny did actually get to the neighbor's house and called the fire department, but they were grossly undermanned at the time. I think that most of the firefighters were actually over at the war. They, by the time they got organized to actually get to the house, it was eight o'clock in the morning. So it was like seven hours later, which is too late. You know, they reckon that the house actually burned down within about 45 minutes. So it was really quick. The time they got to the house, it was just rubble. Um, and by 10 o'clock in the morning, the fire chief was able to actually walk through what was left behind in the rubble and, and have a look and see whether he could find bodies and that sort of thing. But he never came across any bones or any remains or anything. It was just assumed still that the fire was just that hot that had burned all of the bodies of the children that were left inside. 
There was a coroner's inquest and it was found that fire was caused by faulty wiring, although it must be noted that one of the jurors for the inquest was the guy who went off to George about Mussolini. Mm. So he was that insurance salesman guy. And he had said to him, I hope your house burns down and takes your children with it. So that was a little bit strange. Question mark. Yeah, question mark. Why was he allowed on the jury? Yeah. The funeral for the children was held on January 2nd, 1946, but George and Jenny just couldn't bring themselves to attend. The surviving children did go, though. What George did do was go a couple of days after the fire and just bulldoze the rest of the rubble out of the way. He didn't want to look at it. He didn't want to be reminded of the fire. So he just basically took all of the rubble and pushed it into the basement and got like one and a half metre of dirt and piled it on top of it. So not the best thing for maintaining evidence, but he reckons that he wanted to make a memorial garden out of it, which they ended up doing. And Jenny did actually end up maintaining that garden for the rest of her life. In their grief, they went on with life which I'm sure was just completely unbearable. Once the crisis mode wore off and they could actually start to think a little bit more clearly, they had started to have a bit of a rethink about what had happened and a few things stood out to them. Firstly, they were finding it really hard to believe that the children's bodies had been completely destroyed with no trace left. Jenny noted that there was a number of items that hadn't burned much at all, like appliances and that sort of thing hadn't burned really at all and yeah, were yeah. still completely recognisable. She also compared the situation with another house fire that she'd read about recently in the newspaper that said that all of the victims' remains were found. And she ended up thinking, I'm going to look more into this. She called up a crematorium and discovered that bodies actually need to burn at over 1,000 degrees Celsius for more than two hours for bones to totally disintegrate. And even then, usually there's like little shards of them. So she was like, okay. Powdered dust, they're like crumbling. They're like crumbly bits and pieces, yeah, but yeah. yeah, that's it. So she she was like, okay, that's not right. It was only 45 minutes and there's no way that it could have got that hot. Also, it was like so cold outside that the drum of water was frozen. So yeah, the outside temperature, even with a fire, would be less. Like the fire temperature would be less because of the outside temperature. Yeah, yeah, you would imagine so. Yeah, yeah. They ended up finding the missing ladder and it was found in an embankment over 20 metres away. So like someone had taken it and thrown it over there. Yeah. That was odd as well. George looked into some of the strange occurrences of that night, such as the trucks not starting. He believes that the engines had been tampered with, but I actually can't find any proof of that anywhere. So I, I, I just have to assume that that was just his theory. Yeah. He also questioned the official finding that there was an electrical fault as everyone reported that through most of the fire, the Christmas lights stayed on, on the house. So if there was a fire that had been caused by an electrical fault, the power would have gone out, you would, you would think. Mm, mm. It turned out also that the telephone line to the house hadn't been burned, but when they inspected it, it had actually been cut. Now, these are the old up-in-the-air pole telephone lines so someone would have actually had to have climbed up the power pole and cut the line so maybe we can put two and two together with the ladder there yeah that's why the ladder was moved a neighbor came forward and said that they had seen someone lurking around the house right before the fire and they saw him stealing a block and tackle 
Now, some reports say that he was captured and say that, yes, I cut the phone line because I thought it was the power line and I didn't want them to be able to, I don't know, get out of the house or whatever. He was stealing like a block and tackle. He, yeah. I just don't get by that he would have cut the power for that because it was something that he was stealing from an outbuilding. And surely everyone knows that cutting a power line would generally lead to electrocution and death. Yeah. I don't think there's too many people out there that realise that if you cut a power line, you aren't going to get electrocuted to death. So apparently this guy denied having anything to do with the actual house fire and was let go. Interestingly, no record exists of this person. So I would even question whether he was caught at all. I, you know, I would even put a question mark next to that because surely if you had caught a guy who was caught stealing stuff from a house that burned, you would keep him and question him even more. So yeah, I'm and and have a record of him and have him in evidence and that sort of thing. So yeah, Mm. I would really question whether or not they actually even caught this guy. They did solve one mystery though, and that was of the 12:30 a.m. phone call when a local woman came forward and confirmed that she had had a little bit too much Christmas cheer that night and drunk dialed the wrong number. So that was explained and that was fine. Over the next few months, new information came to light. Turns out a bus driver had driven past the house that night and had seen people throwing what sounds like some sort of Molotov cocktail or burning items onto the roof in the spring thaw they did find a few weird hard green rubber objects in the surrounding gardens george said that it looked like some sort of grenade or like a pineapple bomb they call them it looked likely that the fire was deliberately lit Mm. from this stage so what do you think i have absolutely no idea i think that it was definitely intentional Mm -hmm. but by who i mean even though the guy threatened him I don't really feel like it was the insurance guy. Yeah, it would be a big stretch to go <laughs> like, and do that after you threatened it. Yeah, that and also like it was just a verbal disagreement about Mussolini. <laughs> I know, that's I taking mean, a bit far. Yeah, I mean, I know that he said he was going to do those things, but it was, yeah, that would be kind of ridiculous. If yeah, yeah. I mean, I know we've got passionate those, Italians here, but. I mean, yeah, the, the Italians are a, a passionate people. They are. About Mussolini, I don't know, he was actually really not great. He was a, well, he was a <laughs> dictator, so yeah. And why people uh, were backing him, I don't know. Yeah, but my, my way of putting it, he was really not great. <laughs> Not a great guy to be. Not a great guy. No, no. You don't take him home to meet your mum. Not a great guy. Yeah. I mean, a bit of a a big jump to to do that after a verbal disagreement. I just don't know who else would want to do that to them, though. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that we can probably say that it was deliberately lit. Yeah. I mean, the fact that the phone line was cut, someone had to have done that. That's not something that happened on its own. Yeah. And, you know, why cut it if not to stop someone from calling for help? Yeah. Yeah. Of course, we have this, still have this issue of the potentially missing children as well to get through. So. Yeah. And that's just a whole other thing. Like, why? I don't. Exactly. So, yeah, I think we can put a tick next to deliberately lit, but then we need to look into were the children in the house? And if not, where did they go? George and Jenny ended up hiring a private investigator named Cece Tinsley. And if that isn't a name for a private investigator, I don't know what is. Cece Tinsley? Yeah. Cece Tinsley, PI. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. 
Now, he was actually the one that discovered about the insurance guy being on the jury for the coroner's report as well. So he actually unearthed that. It was also discovered that there were witnesses that claimed to have seen the missing children that night. So one woman said that she'd been standing out on the street watching the fire when she saw the children in the back of a car that was slowly driving past. A waitress at a rest stop near the area said that she'd served them breakfast the next morning and the car they'd been travelling in had Florida licence plates. I can't find any info, though, on descriptions of who they were travelling with. So to me, wouldn't that be something that you look at? Like, obviously, at the time, she didn't know who these kids were because it was just the next morning and, you know, it hadn't really got out into the news. Remember, this is before social media. We had to wait for the newspaper back in these days. Um, What a terrible time. I know, I know. So Actually, it would have been a lot nicer, to be honest. Yeah, well, things were a little less immediate, but, yeah, they had time to sort of get out there. Yeah. So I don't know why these kids stood out to her. I don't know why she went and looked at the car, but you think if she was that interested, she would have looked at the people that were with the kids as well. So with pressure growing in the town against the police force, Fire Chief Morris came out and said that he, in fact, had found some human organs in the rubble, but he didn't say anything at the time because he didn't want to upset the family. Well, okay. (laughs) There's a few things wrong with that. Number why one, the organs um, not burn, but the bones? Did. Yeah, number one, yeah. why would there be organs there and not bones? That I just found. I just found a charred liver, and I, but I didn't want to say anything. And then I found the daughter's right kidney, but I didn't want to say anything. Upset yeah. Bones, no, no bones, no teeth, no, no skull, nothing. But a few organs here and there. There no, was some guts and what have you. Yeah. 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 So that doesn't make sense to me. He reckons he didn't tell them because he didn't want to upset them. Well, how about some closure? How about the fact that they never knew what happened to their kids? Really? How about probably more? your job, which unfortunately involves maybe having to give people unpleasant news? Yeah, I know. So I don't buy that. I think he's full of shit. Yes. When the private um, investigator Tinsley looked into this and uh, pushed Morris on it, because he was like the same as us, he was like, uh, "Long no." It was said that he had actually found a human heart in the ashes and he'd buried it because that's what you do with vital evidence after a house fire. And he said that he buried it inside a metal tin. So Tinsley said, okay, you're going to go show us this metal tin. You're going to take George there so that he can get some closure. He did. They went and they dug up the metal tin and they pulled out what was inside. Uh, But what was inside was a piece of fresh beef liver and was not a heart at all. Eventually, Morris said that he had placed the beef liver in the tin and buried it so that the Sodders would be happy with his story and stop their investigation. Why did he want them to stop their investigation? Exactly. Fire Chief is looking mighty dodgy to me at this point. Yeah, also, like, why fresh, you idiot? (laughs) Yeah, I know. I I think what we have here is an element of obstruction of an investigation. Yeah. The Sodders never gave gave up. They kept looking for their children for the rest of their entire lives, which is really heartbreaking. But, of course, you would, you know. That's five kids. Yeah. It's not like it's even just one, you know, which is bad enough. But mm. you've, you've got these five kids that potentially are still out there walking around. It would mm. just do your head in your entire life. Like, so, yeah, they, they tracked, they, like, George, like, 
carried out his own investigations for the rest of his life. And anytime anyone had a lead or anything, he would follow it up himself. He even sent letters to the FBI director, J. Edgar Hoover, petitioning the FBI to take up the case. However, Hoover just declined and said that it wasn't part of his jurisdiction, which is a bit... I think it's part of your jurisdiction. Yeah, well, I don't exactly know back when the FBI was first formed back then what their jurisdiction was. I don't really know anything about, like, I just know them. They just always seem to appear and they're like, yeah, no, this is the FBI's case now. Like, it was my understanding that the FBI does get involved in missing children, but I guess because the, the um, official investigation had deemed them to have died in the fire, then that wasn't a missing children investigation. You know what I mean? Yeah. So in 1949, George finally had a win and managed to get a new search of the rubble where the house had been. They ended up actually finding some small vertebral bones, which they sent to the Smithsonian Institute, and they confirmed that they were indeed lumbar vertebra of a person around 16 to 17 years old. Now, remembering that Maurice had been 14 at the time, and he was the oldest of them, Mm. you know, you could stretch it and say perhaps. Bone specialist Marshall Newman was quick to point out, though, that it would have been very unusual for these to be the only bones to have been found. And the fire just wouldn't have been able to incinerate the rest and leave these behind. And also mm. he would have expected to see burn marks on the bones. These bones weren't these bones weren't burnt at all. He said, no, these bones weren't burnt. And also I would have expected a full skeleton to have been present, not just a couple of bones. Well, that they like, got them rot. Like what I don't understand why there was just a few vertebrae. Yeah. And that's what the experts said. Yeah. They're like, why are there only a couple of them? That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. In the end, they decided that the bones must have been present in the dirt that was placed over the site. However, further investigation did find that they had most likely been taken from a nearby cemetery, but nobody can explain how or why or who would have done this. So it sounds like planting evidence potentially as well. Oh, my God. Yeah. I feel like there is a lot to cover up here. We're a lot being covered up here. Yeah. By 1952, the Sodders realised that law enforcement were not going to help their situation. So they ended up putting up a large billboard on the local highway and they had flyers printed out of their children offering $5,000 reward for info. It was only after Jenny's death in 1989 that the family pulled down the billboard as well. So it was up there for a really, really long time. Mm. So, so far, what do you think? This is just bizarre. Mm. Because there's no... There's nothing really at the beginning of all of this that makes you think, oh, yeah, they were disliked. They were, you know, bad people. They pissed people off. I don't know. There's nothing that other than the crazy insurance man arguing about bloody Mussolini. Yeah. There isn't really anything. Like who had, he, who had that family pissed off for this to yeah. happen? And I know, like, obviously the fire marshal, guy has I don't know he's either covering tracks for himself or someone else or Mm. he's just covering tracks because he's terrible at his job and he doesn't want to be caught out for being terrible at his job Mm. Mm -hmm. but there's just nothing really unless the kid like left themselves but then there isn't even talk of the family being an unhappy family uh Mm. you know like it's not like it wasn't a bad home and unstable home life from the outside. 
Yeah, well, you some know. people did speculate that in theories. They were like, well, you know, obviously the children were trying to escape from an abusive household and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but, like that's the only other thing I can think of. And but, but these kids were little. Like one of them was five. They're not going to, yeah. A, want to leave their family, even if they are abusive, and, B, know where to go and what to do once they're out of the house. Like they'd be yeah. freaking out. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't feel like that. Unless there was an adult involved in getting them out of there. But then why to just take those kids? Why not take all of them? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I buy that. And a lot of people did come out and say, no, they were, they looked like they were a really happy family. And the fact that they just were so devastated by this and just searched for them the rest of their life. Yeah. There's a lot about how their fine family, you know, feels yeah. about each other. Yeah. So let's look at what else we know. After all the attention the Sodders pushed for, sightings were commonly reported. Many were really vague and unconfirmed, but there was one woman who came forward about seven years after the fire, and she said that about one week after the fire, the children had come into her hotel in Charleston around midnight, and they were with two women and two men all looked to be Italian. So she said that she tried to talk to the children, but the men wouldn't allow it. She said that they all left the hotel very early the next morning. So apparently she tried to talk to the kids and the men were just like, no. And they like spoke to each other in Italian and were like, no. Obviously saying, don't talk to this woman. And then they just cleared out first thing the next morning. I find this story really questionable, just given the fact that she reported it seven years later and was relying on memory. Like, I just... Could have been so many different situations. Yes. Yes. What is with, it's always the way though, people always decide to tell their story years after the fact. Always. Yeah, I know. So many like, of these cases have that element. And yeah, you just think, can I actually even believe this? Yeah. I wouldn't be able to remember something from seven yeah. years ago. Yeah, by the way, seven years ago, um, I heard uh, screaming and saw someone running down the street covered in blood. Yeah. I didn't think to talk about it back then, but, you know. Now that I stop and think about it, it didn't quite sit right with me. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So now I'm, I'm really going to tell you about it. Yeah. Like, literally, every single one of these seems to have the cops focusing on that, that's it, that guy. Yeah. Done. Not focusing on any other evidence. And then always a couple of people that are like, oh, yeah, by the way, 10, 15 years ago, this happened. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't tell you back then. Though. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> painful. Painful. Very painful. All right. In 1967, George received a letter from a woman who said that she knew Lewis and that one night after too much to drink, he confessed to her that he was Lewis Sodder. And he was a man at this stage, obviously. She believed that he was living in Texas with his brother, Maurice. Now, George was onto this straight away and drove straight to Texas and enlisted local law enforcement to help him track these guys down. And he actually did manage to find these guys. And they did bear a striking resemblance to, remember it was 22 years later, so to what he thinks that they would have looked like. <laughs> However, the men denied that they were his kids and George was left to return home again with no luck. He did say, though, that these two guys stayed in his thoughts for the rest of his life and he he actually believed that they could have been them. I don't know. I don't know whether or not these kids had been brought up thinking that they needed to protect their family or, or something along those lines yeah. um, or if they just weren't the, the right boys and it was just a coincidence. Yeah. Around this time, Jenny received a letter in the mail addressed to her postmarked from Kentucky as well. 
It contained a picture of a young man who had very similar features to Lewis and looked to be about the age he would have been then. On the back was written, Lewis Sodder, I love brother Frankie, Ilul boys, A90132. I will put up a picture of this picture that was sent to her and the back of it. And there's also like a side-by-side to see whether there is, you know, some resemblance. And look, he was, what, five, no, nine when he when he went missing. So he's not going to look like the 30-odd-year-old man that is in the picture. Maybe there is a little bit of resemblance, but it's just too hard to tell for me. Yeah. Um, I personally think that the lips and the ears are quite different, but we are looking at old black and white photos here. So, yeah. Yeah. Do you want me to send them to you? Sure. Yeah. Like it could look like him, but maybe it doesn't as well. Yeah. Yeah. It it it, it could, but it also couldn't. Yeah, exactly. It's very <laughs> like, inclusive, it's, let's it's, say that. Yeah. And like definitely with the uh, the photos, you know, being older photos. Mm. Actually, yeah, the they're quality, all black and whites. The quality, the quality of the the one when he's young, younger is actually better the, than the one when he's older. <laughs> to <Yeah>. be honest, <laughs> um, it's very, it's just so hard mm. to tell. Some people like you just see a picture of them as an adult, and then you see a picture of them as a kid, and you're like, oh yeah, hundred mm. percent. And then other people, it's like, oh, you didn't turn out the way I was expecting. So it's yeah, really hard to. Well, Jenny to always. Tell. Jenny always believed that it was him and they ended up actually getting the, the picture blown up and put in a frame above their fireplace. Um, and that, but then at the same time, what, like, you know, you have to take into account that, like, okay, so, you know, she truly believed it was him and George truly believed that the two men he met were his sons. Mm. Like, they always stayed in this thought. But what... At what point does it literally just become? I know, wishful thinking. Yeah, exactly. That, and that's fine. Like I, I completely get that for them. Maybe that they needed that as some sort of closure, some sort of peace. You know, for yeah. them to actually go, okay, well, no, I do. That's them, and I know that's them, and I yeah. know that they're alive. It's like keeping that glimmer of hope alive. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they did end up jumping on this, of course, and hired a private investigator to go to Kentucky and try and track this guy down. Unfortunately, yeah. the private investigator uh, ended up taking their money and was never seen again. So, uh-huh. that, yeah, to add insult to injury. Yeah. Yeah. So, so far, thoughts? <laughs> I've got nothing, honestly. This is bizarre. Yeah. The whole thing is very, very bizarre. And I think that as far as the fire goes, someone definitely did it. Ladder. Oh, why? Yeah, exactly. Ladder being missing, trucks not starting, fireballs being seen thrown at the house. Yeah. So let's go through some theories. Yeah. Well, first of all, the theory, the first theory is that the kids just simply perished in the fire. People have been quick to point out that removing five children from a house quietly enough to not wake anyone is no mean feat. So this is sort of, if you look this up on um, message boards, you'll get probably a 50-50 split on this case. Half the people think the kids died in the fire, half the people think that they didn't. The people that are in the the kids died in the fire camp, they are like, there's no way that these kids could have been abducted 
all five of them from their bedrooms up in the attic and nobody woke up. They put their sort of pin their hopes on that. Uh, mm. To me, and also you've got the um, the older sister asleep on the couch as well. So you've got to get past her. You've got to get past the yeah. parents' room that are sleeping. Yeah. I think that it is possible that the boy that the boys went to put the animals away that night and the girls were still up and they were like, we want to come out with you. We'll put the chickens away and we'll yeah. put the cows away. And they all went outside and potentially somebody grabbed them while they were outside. Yeah. I mean, it's it has to be a coincidence that, you know, the, the kids that went missing were the ones that were staying up late. Yeah. So I think that that's a possibility there. And, and you know, it makes a hell of a lot more, more sense than trying to smuggle five children out of a house. Yeah. As to whether they actually died in the fire, some people have put forth the theory that the children were overcome with smoke and the heat being in the attic, which is the highest point, obviously, of the house. Mm. So they were just never able to escape because they were rendered unconscious really, really quickly in the whole proceedings. Yeah. Then there was another theory that the house collapsed into the basement and smoldered for days, which would have destroyed any remains that had fallen in there. In the early days of the investigation, John had said that he actually went up into the attic. So this is John, um, one of the older sons. He said that when it all first happened, he went up there and he went into the attic and he found his brothers and sisters all asleep in there, but they were unconscious and he couldn't rouse them. So this is what he said in the days following the fire. He was like, look, I tried to get them up, but they weren't waking up and I had to get myself out of there. But he ended up quickly changing his story finally to say that he didn't actually go up into their rooms, but he stood at the bottom of the ladder and he called up to them and he couldn't hear them calling him back. So I think that to him it was like, that's what I should have done. So that's what I'm going oh, to say. That I understand. That yeah. I would. Yeah. Of course you're going to say you did this and this and this because. Your brothers and the, sisters are dead. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. So I get why I said that. But, of course, the they died in the fire camp, latch onto this and say that he was made to change his story. Um, mm. But, yeah, as I said, he did say, look, it was what I should have done. So that's why I said it at first. But, I mean, he probably went for the rest of his life wishing that that's what he did. Yeah. And and I can see that, you know, his family have lost so much. Why devastate them further? Why why yeah. upset them by saying I could have saved them, but I didn't? Yeah. Another element to why someone did this in order to wipe out the whole family was people have said that they must have been involved in the mafia. So that's like a quite a mafia thing to do is wipe out oh, a family. Because they're Italian. Exactly. Doesn't mean they're involved in so, yeah. waste management, for goodness sake. Clearly people have gone, they're Italian, so it yeah. must have been the mafia. Yeah. Now I've just got the Sopranos theme song playing in my head. <laughs> and people have also said, like, that's why they left Italy, because it was the mafia, you know, they had to get out. They were bigwigs over there. I'm like, okay, number one, they were children when they left Italy. Uh, yeah, they three, were in the baby mafia. I know. Not part of the baby mafia. Yeah, yeah and, and, and secondly, the they may is it possible that, you know, they left Italy in the early 20s after World War One? <laughs> you know? Yeah, possibly. <laughs> yeah, possibly. might have had something to do with it. Country. Possibly. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Great. And then look at what was to come. Yeah, exactly. Mussolini. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, seriously, not all Italians are in the mafia. Let's just say that. Well, okay? I know quite a few Italians. Yes. Only only ninety percent of them uh, have ties to the mafia. Only ninety percent. So yeah, yeah. there's it. always a few that don't. Yeah, you know, there's like the ten the ten percent that don't. But yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. I live in a wine and, and orchard region. So I, I think that 90% of people here are Italian. I feel very out of place. <laughs> I'm convinced that someone lit that fire, cut the phone cables, moved the ladder. I'm just not willing to accept that five whole bodies vaporized into thin air. I, I don't buy that the kids were in the house. Yeah. That's sort of my my gut feeling when I see this this uh, case. Look, I'm with you, but I just can't figure out why. Yeah, exactly. So the second theory is that they were kidnapped and the fire was designed to cover their tracks. Now, I can buy someone feeling passionate, passionately about hurting a family. They were a well-off family. Um, there have been reports that George had been in many fights in the Italian community. Again, passionate Italians. Um, and then there was even a report that he had received a piece of paper with a black hand on it. Now, this is apparently something that Sicilians do, and it's like a death threat. So if you are Sicilian and you give someone a piece of paper with a black hand on it, that's like, I am going to kill you. So he, apparently he had been given one of these. But kidnapping children is something completely different. Like <laughs> I feel like yeah. there is, you've been a bit of a shit, people are angry at you, and you're getting over-the-top death threats and then there's we're going to steal half of your children and burn your house down I just like it's just a big jump to me yeah it is a big jump yeah I mean if you had a beef with the family and wanted to hurt them would you wouldn't you just like torch the house with everyone inside not just take some of them I don't really understand where that thinking comes from and then like I think the only way that this would happen is we're back to the first theory is that they actually are were in the mafia but I just don't think we would have gone this many years without something coming up about the fact that he had ties to the mafia yeah like that would have that would have come out by now it always does it always does someone there's a rat there's always a rat someone always someone always talks yeah and and after taking the kids what happened to them after that were they disposed of were they killed? Why not just leave them in the house? If you're Again, going to? my, not that I'm like, you know, I mean, I do enjoy Sopranos and stuff, but generally children are not involved in this stuff and the hurting of children mm. is not a part of mafia stuff, like yeah. adult stuff. I mean, potentially, yeah. I mean, that might be why people come up with the whole mafia theory. Maybe it does fit into that sort of narrative. I'm not, yeah, I, maybe. And, you know, did they I take the kids? Taking out like five kids, though. Yeah, like, and did they go and start lives afterwards? Like, yeah. obviously killing them wasn't the plan if they didn't leave them in the house. So, yeah. and some of them may have been too young to remember who they were, but the oldest boys were nine and 14. And I think that's old enough to remember who you were, especially the 14 year old. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's the thing that I'm like, is confused about as well. Like they went and saw the, he went and saw these two men and they're like, oh no, we're not them. But they were old enough to remember. We're not talking like they were babies or, Hmm. you know, toddlers. They were old enough to know who their parents were and have those memories. Yeah, so what was so scary that if that was the the boys, what was so scary that it was making them maintain this secret so many years later? Yeah. George always believed, though, that this was the case, that the kids were kidnapped, and he followed up on all the leads himself. Uh, He once actually saw a photo of a girl in a ballet magazine, uh, and he felt that it looked exactly like Betty, and he drove all the way to, to the ballet school to try and see this girl. And I've got a photo. I've got the photo. Someone actually found it. 
Um, here, I'll send it to you as well, and you can make up your own mind. Oh, nah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, she's aged. She's aged a couple of years. Yeah. She's definitely an older girl. But yeah. I'd, yeah, I can't put those ones together either. No. I think when you you see what you want to see. Yeah, exactly. And, look, maybe they told the kids that they needed to keep quiet or their family would be in danger yeah. or, yeah. you know, that might explain, you know, when they if they were confronted in adulthood about it, why they would deny it. But still, it's been such a long time when you think that someone would talk. There were five of them. Surely someone's got to talk at some stage. Yeah. 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 And I just can't, I still just can't get past why just save those five kids. I mean, are we looking at a situation where the kids witnessed the people starting the fire? Maybe when they were out putting the animals away, they actually saw the people throwing the fireballs at the roof or something. And, you know, so they needed to be dealt with, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, shot, disposed of otherwise. And if they had put them back in the house, they would have noticed, you know, bullets in their bodies. I just can't come to a reasonable explanation in my head about it. The only thing I can say I think is a likely truth here is that someone lit that fire. and. While exploring this case, I kept mentally going back to the insurance guy who threatened to burn the house down. And I just decided that I wanted to know a little bit more about this guy because it just sounds like such a weird link. Like this guy yeah. tries to burn his house down and then his house burns down and then he's on the jury that try and tries to like decide to fob the case off. Yeah. So I looked into this guy and it turns out that the insurance agent who went out to see George wasn't actually the one making the threat. It was his boss. So his okay. boss was Fiorenzo Genutolo, and he used to work for George. He now had his own trucking company, and he was also the director of the Fayette County National Bank, and he was actually a co-signer to George's mortgage. He was also listed as a recipient of $1,500 in house insurance if it was invoked. So, i.e., if it burned down, he would get $1,500. I don't know why he was listed on the policy like that. Like who, who was this guy to George other than an ex-employee? Why was he co-signing his mortgage? Maybe they were close at one stage. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. So he wanted George to get life insurance for whatever reason. Maybe mm. another mysterious clause that might have seen him get more money. But anyway, he was the one who made the Mussolini threats, but he sent out one of his guys to do door-to-door sort of sell- selling of the insurance. Yeah. So not only does he get his payout from the home insurance, turns out he had upped it to $1,750 right before the fire without George knowing about it. So this puts him into dodgy territory for me. Yeah. Then it gets even weirder because Fire Chief Morris, Mr. Dodgy Man, who plants beef livers and things like that, he actually worked as Genutolo's bookkeeper. So he was, it was all very sort of finger in the pie in this little town, I think. Janutolo was also rumoured to actually have a mafia link. So maybe George and Jenny weren't part of the mafia, but the guy that they pissed off was. So what do you think? Well, I think that we've done a better, well, we, you, have done a better job than the police have and just solved this case. It sounds like this is quite... If everything is accurate, as it's reported, this is really a big red flag to me. This guy stood to make what back then would have been a reasonable amount of money. Yeah. Was pissed off at him for, you know, whatever reason. Yeah. Threatens to burn his house down. I don't Mm -hmm. know when the Mussolini stuff comes into it. Maybe it was just like a 
that was an excuse. Like when maybe when someone said, well, why did you threaten to burn his house down? Oh, well, he said something about Mussolini, not actually saying what their fight actually was about. But yeah, I feel like this is quite suspicious. How has this not been talked about more and how has this not been addressed? Yeah, yeah. I think that I'm liking Janitolo for lighting the fire or arranging it to be lit, but I'm not sure about how the kids fit into this. I don't understand how the kids fit into it. Yeah. My feeling is that it would make more sense if the if there was still remains there and the kids were just an accident, but the fact that there's no remains. I think um, if there were remains in that house of those kids, this story wouldn't even be a thing. Yeah. It, nobody would even know about it. It's just the fact that they weren't there. And I I'm not gonna buy that they were in the house and they just through some weird freak physics event, uh, ended up getting incinerated. I I just don't yeah. buy that at all. I think that you would have seen some of them. Yeah. If they were in that house, five whole children. Yeah. You would have seen something. So I don't buy that those kids were in the house. But if it was Janitolo, okay, maybe he was in the mafia. And like you were saying, kids don't get involved in this stuff. Or where my mind goes is those kids were outside and they they caught people doing things. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, gosh, we've already started throwing firebombs. Can't stop now. These kids have seen too much. We can't put them back in the house, you know. Yeah. That's what I feel may have happened. Yeah, that makes that makes sense and makes it sort of work. Yeah. I wish that George hadn't filled in the site with all the, the soil. I yeah. think that a lot of evidence could have been lost in doing yeah. that. Definitely. Um, yeah. I really hope that this is a case where like ancestry.com DNA matches sort of comes in and solves something. Yeah. If those kids did go off and start new lives, you know, maybe, maybe there's an off chance mm-hmm. that it happened. But yeah, I just don't buy that nobody would have talked if they'd gone off yeah. to start new lives. I think that they were taken out because they saw too much when they went out to do the animals. Yeah. The humdinger. It is. Yeah, definitely. I think on the money there. Yeah, that adds in a whole new element that makes more of the but why but why yeah that actually makes time you come to an explanation you go oh that makes sense for that part of it but then what about this part of it yeah yeah that's really the only explanation that I can come up that makes everything fit yeah yeah and finally there's a connection for everything if nothing else, Johnny right. Tolo should have been investigated a whole lot more than he was. Yeah, 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 yeah. So if anyone would like to come to our Facebook or Instagram pages and let us know what you think, and, um, yeah, we'll keep on talking about it and see whether we can come up with an agreement. Otherwise, we will see everyone next week, and until then, see you later. Bye.